We are an expository preaching church, as I always say, and we are in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. I had a car accident last month. For those of you who may hesitate to sit in the passenger seat, I must tell you, I am a safe driver. I wasn't speeding. But it would rather surprise you that although I wasn't speeding, I rear-ended an 18-wheeler and my airbags were deployed as a result of it. I'm not going to give you all the details. I mean, if you really want the details, take me out for lunch and I'll, I'll entertain you with all the details. What I want to actually tell you is what happened after the incident. The car got repaired and I was called to pick up the car, but there was a problem. As soon as I started the car and I started the air conditioner, there was a strong smell coming out of the vents. Uh, the smell was unbearable, so I took it back to the repair center. They immediately got the whiff coming out of the AC and began to diagnose the problem. They tried hard, but couldn't resolve it. Finally, the technician working on my car could no longer smell the odor. And he had me down to the shop to check out the smell. The first thing he mentioned over on the phone was, Sam, I've become desensitized to the smell. I cannot get the smell anymore. And not only was it his conundrum, the, the other mechanics working on the car had also got desensitized to the smell. And as a result, they assumed that they had resolved the issue, but they didn't want to rule that out until they had called me and have me tested out. As I was thinking through this incident, a spiritual principle propped up in my mind. Our spiritual senses work like our physical senses, except with a difference. The physical stimuli that is there works to our advantage, but with the spiritual stimuli, it works to our disadvantage. Physically, we grow used to the smell in our homes, our car, our closets, now, if you play guitar for a while, you know as you play the guitar, you start forming calluses on your fingers. If you're used to drinking bitter coffee, I mean, coffee is bitter without milk, and if you're used to drinking that for a while, that bitterness no longer matters to you anymore. Our bodies get used to it, even works for food allergies, pollen allergies. Our bodies get used to these allergies, and eventually it doesn't bother us anymore. I've seen young children cover their eyes when they see a kissing scene on a, on a PG-13 movie. But as they become more and more exposed to it, they are no longer embarrassed. As we encounter sin for the first time, we are horrified and disgusted. I mean, but as we get exposed to it, over and, and over and over again, we form calluses on our conscience. And we tend to accept it or shrug it off as normal. The story is told of uh, a friend of Augustine named Alpheus, 
who was urged by his neighbors to watch the gladiators in combat. Alpheus refused to do so because he abhorred the brutality of those barbaric contests. One day, however, he was forced into the amphitheater against his will. Determined not to witness the gory spectacle, Alpheus kept his eyes closed. But a piercing cry aroused his curiosity so much that he peeked as one of the fighters received a fatal wound. No sooner had Alpheus discovered the bloody stream pouring out from the victim's side that his senses became numb. And he joined in the shouts and exclamations of the noisy mob about him. And from that moment, Alpheus was a changed man, changed for the worse, not only attending such sports himself, but urging others to do likewise. Even though Alpheus had entered the arena against his will, his exposure to evil and eventual addiction suggests what can happen to the best of people when they get one small taste of lustful pleasures. Their appetite is whetted, they develop a liking for once they once abhorred, and without realizing, they become enslaved to it. Today in our sermon, we will be on the borderline between PG and PG-13. I will try to be, do my best to be G-rated as much as possible. But uh, as we speak through this, one preacher said, We are in grave danger of embracing sexual immorality that has engulfed our nation. Barna Research states that one in three Americans seek out porn once a month. When asked about the worst sin, what the worst sin is, 56% of teens and young people mentioned not recycling was more immoral than porn. According to an article that appeared on Gospel Coalition, 42% of evangelicals aged 89 through 29, sorry, 18 to 29, were in a sexual relationship outside of legal marriage. According to Barna Research, dated 2016, 41% of so-called practicing Christians strongly or somewhat agree that it's a good idea to live with one significant other before getting married. Al Mohler, on a recent stat, he writes, 70% of 18 to 24-year-old men visit porn sites in a typical month. He continues, Today, an average teenage boy is likely to have seen thousands of explicit sexual images ranging across a spectrum of sexualities and perversions. He continues, the porn industry makes about 5 to $10 billion a year in revenue. And he states, 60 Minutes in, which was a program, it says, largest chain of hotels, hotels make most of their in-room profits from the sale of pay-per-view porn. 
Did you know that boys and girls reach puberty earlier than normal now? That's dangerous. The new normal for girls is between 10 to 12 and boys is around 12 to 14. The new normal. And it's getting lower and lower. Scientific journals give the reasons for that. One is the use of hormone-disrupting chemicals, environmental changes. But more than that is a sexual revolution of the media today. An article from Psychological Today, 2012, states, Today children are being sexualized earlier and earlier in part because they are exposed to sexual materials in movies, television, music, and other media earlier than ever. With widespread access to internet, curious teens may accidentally or intentionally be exposed to millions of pages of material that is uncensored, sexually explicit, often inaccurate, and potentially harmful. Children as young as eight and nine are coming across sexually explicit material on the internet. Teens who listen to music with degrading sexual references were more likely to have sex than those who had less exposure. Having said that, Last week, we looked at the positive command in verses 1 and 2. If you look at verse 1 and 2 in Ephesians chapter 5, the positive command was be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That was a positive command. This week... We are going to look at the negative command. And there is a positive even within the negative, and I'll go through that in a moment. But the negative command is found in verses 3 through 6. And I have two headings for you. The perversion of love, verse 3 and 4. The penalty that a perverse lifestyle brings, verse 5 through 6. Let's look at the perversion of love in verses 3 and 4. Reads, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Paul begins with a contrasting conjunction, but. He is contrasting verses 3 and 4 with what has gone before, verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, biblical love was a sweet-smelling aroma to God's nostrils. Diametrically opposed to verse 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4 is a perverse lifestyle of so-called love that is producing a stench in God's nostrils. The very first word there in 
Ephesians 5.3, in your English Bible, it is the word but, but in the Greek, it is the word pornea. It's emphatic, pornea. Or sexual immorality. As opposed to walking in Christ's love, this is the love of self. As opposed to self-sacrificing biblical love that we saw in verses 1 and 2, this is self-destroying love, others-destroying love. This is lustful love. Sexual immorality. The word pornea means fornication. Or habitual immorality. It is illicit sexual activity outside of marriage. Outside of God's divine bounds for marriage. It is sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage. Beloved, sexual relationship was designed by God... For marriage. And it is to be within the confines of marriage. By the way, marriage is defined as a public, formal, and officially recognized covenant between a man and a woman. It is a public, formal, officially recognized covenant. You don't become husband and wife just because you sat in the confines of your bedroom and said you made a covenant with God. It has to be a publicly affirmed covenant in front of witnesses. And by the way, we don't define marriage. We don't have the right to define marriage. The Supreme Court doesn't define marriage. What defines marriage is God's word. It's between a man and a woman. The word pornea, sexual immorality, also includes homosexual relationships. Pornea includes lustful thinking. The kind of thoughts you could have after having watched a movie. That aroused your sexual fantasies. It could include immodest dressing. Uh, When you buy clothes, you choose clothes that are modest. You know, sometimes clothes that look good on you may not be modest enough for you. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor, now you want us to dress like the Amish. No, that's not what I'm suggesting. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, talks about women adorning themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Modesty and self-control, these are two attitudes that have to characterize a woman's approach to her appearance in worship. In other words, a godly woman must not be responsible to contribute to the distraction of someone during worship service. See, so ought to... Uh, Take care of the way she dresses. She should not be the source of temptation. She should avoid anything that will provoke sin in anyone. Not just women. I mean, even men ought to be modestly dressed. What must you do? Ignore the world's sensuous fashions and dress in a manner that pleases the Lord. You know, but we are so desensitized by culture that we have a warped view of sex Sexuality and modesty. 
You need to be prudent. You need to be careful when you're living in this world. Your lifestyle ought to be distinct or separate or separated from that of the world. The next word in verse 3 is the word impurity. All sexual immorality and all impurity. Impurity is the Greek word atarsia. It means dirty. It's, it's used in reference to the pus around an infected wound. That's the, the picture. It's repulsive. It's disgusting. The next word there is covetousness. Covetousness means greed. This is selfishness to the nth degree. It can also be used in reference to sexual greed that expresses itself in self-gratification at the expense of others. Sex outside of marriage always happens because of greed. You're coveting what belongs to others. You're discontent with what God has given you in your life and, and you want what others have. And so you begin to have impure thoughts. That's what we read in the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Covet because they're not satisfied with what they have. Paul continues in verse 3. But sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness must not even be named should not be named. That's in the present imperative. There should not be even an occasion for these sexual sins to be mentioned among you. It's a command, and it's a continual command. Let there not be even an occasion ever to mention something around you. That means it should be absolutely absent from the church. Unholy things, perverse things, should not be topics of conversation among you. Paul says you must not even have a hint of it. That's where you get the book Josh McDowell wrote, not even a hint. If you have not read it, you can get hold of it. You must not come anywhere near to approaching it, Paul says. Not only must you not do them, you must not even talk about them. You must not even feed your mind, your eyes, your ears with these sexual sins. How do you feed your minds, your eyes and ears with these sexual sins? Have you thought about it? I mean, we are living in a day inundated with television. Day in and day out. You go to any home, the TV is, home, is on for whatever reason. If they are sports fans, you will have the sports channel on. Whatever it is, it's all filled with themes. And all of the themes that are coming in for advertisement use sex. Sex is used to promote everything on TV these days. I mean, if you're not careful in monitoring our entertainment choices, we'll be saturated with sexual themes in our entertainment. And sadly, we get desensitized. 
the ladies of our church went through a study of the book of Ephesians. They finished it last week and they followed a book by Susan Heck. Susan Heck writes, Try turning off the television and staying away from movies for a month and see what new things you see when you come back. I fear many of us have become numb to the poison we are drinking. Isn't that true? We have become numb to the poison we are drinking. You probably heard the story of a frog being cooked. Sorry for those who are vegans. This is only for the sake of illustration. The way to boil a frog is not to put him in a pot of boiling water. If you drop him into boiling water, he will jump out before he is boiled. So you put him in a pot of cold water and he's perfectly comfortable. Then you put him on the stove and little by little the warm water gets warm. It's pleasant at first. By the time it gets a little warmer, he's swimming around. He's like in a frog jacuzzi. But finally, when it's boiling, it's too late. His strength is gradually sapped, leaving him powerless to hop out. That's how you boil a frog. Now this is exactly what Satan does to us. If he were to show us an immoral movie or image, we would shudder and rebuke. We would curse Satan right off the back. But what Satan does is to make us comfortable in our environment. That would appear okay by our standards. And slowly but steadily, Satan desensitizes us to the point that we have become acclimatized ourselves, or we have acclimatized ourselves, sorry, to immorality. This is what we read in Ephesians 4.19. Ephesians 4.19 reads, They have become callous. Some of your versions say, They have lost all sensitivity. That means they have become desensitized. And what they have done as a result, they have given themselves up to sensuality. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 19. It says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. How can we be innocent as to what is evil if we have desensitized our lives with filth? Come back with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. That means it's not appropriate for the saints. Who are the saints? The saints are the ones who are born again. The saints are the ones who are regenerated. The saints are the ones who are living in the spirit of Christ. The saints are the ones who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are not born as saints. We don't become saints because of the way we live. 
We are not becoming saints because the church canonizes us. The Bible, according to the scriptures, we become saints when we are imputed by the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen to that? Our living, our practice, our morality has nothing to do with our sainthood. So we can call you saint. Saint Moore, Saint Favela, Saint Espinoza, Saint Freeman, Saint on and on, right? If you are saved by the blood of the Lamb, you are a saint. Paul continues. In verse 4, deal with me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Paul begins with the phrase, let there be no filthiness. This refers to indecency, obscenity, dirty talk. Disgraceful speech, immodesty, improper conduct. It means ugly or shameful conduct of any kind. That's what it means. Filthiness. The next word is foolish talk. Some of your Bibles have silly talk. It's from the Greek word morologia. It's a compound word, moro, logia. Moro comes from moron, which you know is fool, and logos is speech, foolish talking. It's a kind of speech that makes light of God's moral commandments. It's both foolish and sinful. It's not fit to edify. It can refer to dirty jokes, profitless chit-chat, the next word there in verse 4 is crude joking. Some of your Bibles say coarse jesting. This word is found only here in the New Testament. This means being facetious, being coarse in one's conversations. It's witty speech. Someone who scoffs and offers coarse jokes. Like you're talking to somebody of the opposite sex and you have an hidden agenda. You're being immoral with the opposite sex, with your conversations, by saying one thing, but meaning another thing. Sexual innuendo, double meaning talk. I mean, where do you hear sexual innuendo today? Double meaning talk. Just turn on the television, right? I mean, listen to what comes out of Hollywood. Most of what comes out of Hollywood is what is double meaning talk. And we entertain ourselves with such conversations. We become immune to it. We become desensitized to it. I was at the barber shop, and the store began playing this loud music with cuss words, just blaring. I had to humbly request the store to turn off the music or to put on another song, which they kindly did. I mean, had they not begun my haircut, I would have. Maybe quietly walked out of the store. 
I mean, beloved, you have to commit yourself to God's standards and commit to fight to maintain it. I mean, you need to guard your thought life. You need to restrict the kind of media that you are being exposed to. You must be accountable for the way you use your computer. It's a, it's a principle in my room, in my house, that the computer is always facing the people. The people walking by could see what is going on on my computer screen. Stop watching R-rated movies. I mean, it's a joke today that PG-13 movies are PG-13 in light of R-rated movies that's coming out. Because it doesn't edify you. It's like Susan X said in her book, it said, you're, you're sitting on the beach and, and a woman comes to you naked, nude, basically half clad, and she puts a towel for you, says, sit here and watch me. Would you do that? The same thing you do when you turn on the television and you watch profanity. Just staring at it and entertaining yourselves with it. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Some parents will justify that one should go to an R-rated movie in order to understand the culture. They say things like, how long can you protect your child? Let them watch. Let them understand the culture. I mean, do you really have to watch these things to understand the culture? Speak to me. I'll explain to you what the culture is. The Bible tells you what the culture is. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it reads, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's the culture. If that were not enough, come back to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll show you again what the culture is like. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you may no longer, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind and the emptiness of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their... That's their culture, my beloved. The Bible tells you what you're going to get from Hollywood. Not all. Bible is telling you what you will get from the culture, what people manufacture. Be careful about watching TV shows. Now, I mean, let's put aside, what about Disney channels? Portraying dads as lazy, incompetent, and stupid. Have you watched that? The children ask their mothers these days after watching some of those sitcoms, why are dads on TV so dumb? The message being given out through the media to the world is dads are not needed, moms can run the show. Is that true? It's not. But that's what the media promotes. And what do we do? 
we entertain ourselves with those kind of shows. We laugh at them. What about magazines? I received a gift subscription to Time and Sports Illustrated Kids magazine. I don't have them anymore, but they stopped. I have had to personally tear out pages from Time and even the Kids Illustrated, Sports Illustrated, to even bring these magazines into my home. Beloved, it's a fight and you must fight it. Sex is not something to be joked about. For the same reason that you do not joke about God. Do you joke about God? In the same way you don't joke about sex. Sex was what was created by God to be enjoyed in the most holy and awesome relationship of a man and a woman in the context of marriage. It will be shocking to the statistics. Statistics reveal from World Magazine that 46% of this from Michigan, 46% of Michigan 5th graders and 55% of 8th graders had engaged in sex. Now you say, well, that's Michigan, not California. Well, we'll be surprised with what happens in California. Josh McDowell reveals... 43% of church-attending 18-year-old boys have, and girls have sexual intercourse. question is, why are there such high rates of intercourse among children? And the response is, this was attributed to television exposure. Today, there is a move among children, I mean, among parents, that children should have unrestricted use of the media. I mean, and now let me talk about it. There was a public real, uh, rally of, a couple of days ago, you probably noticed it, on May 8th at Sacramento. And the purpose of the rally was to, pro to protest the new California health curriculum. Anyone aware about that? The new California health curriculum. Jonathan Keller, who is the president of the California Family Council, this is what he said, listen to me. This is public media. Parents do not sign up for this type of sexual indoctrination. He continues, the state of California should not force moms and dads to choose between participating in public school and protecting their children's innocence. No student needs to be exposed to this graphic and explicit material. It's child abuse. This is public media. But do you know the irony? The irony is that the same parents who fight for sexual indoctrination do not exercise discernment when it comes to entertainment choices in their own homes. It is rather sad that parents give away cell phone access with unrestricted internet access into the hands of children. And guess what's happening? They're being exposed to thousands and thousands of explicit images even as young as five-year-old and six-year-olds. And the parents are protesting over sexual indoctrination. Do you see the irony? Paul continues in verse 4. Come back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. 
He says, let there not be filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... And by the way, let's look at that phrase, out of place. That means it's not appropriate. It's out of place. It's not proper for a believer. It's not fitting for a believer. Don't do it. Now, you may say, well, I don't do any of these things. Well, it doesn't matter. You may not do any of these things, but if you are far from Christ, if Christ is not the, the Lord and the Savior of your life, you are as bad as a man living in the gutter. You may not be doing all these things. The question is not whether you're living by moral rules that are set before you. The question is, in light of the fact that you are a believer, in light of the fact that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, in light of the fact that He has imputed His righteousness to you, in light of the fact that you are a saint, this is not fitting for you. Does that make sense? It is not fitting for you to live like this. Now, having given us the negatives in verse 3, Paul gives us the positive at the end of verse 4. Look at the positive. Now, we like positives. But there is an aspect of negative as well. There has to be negatives. Otherwise, why should there be positive? It says, let there be thanksgiving. Paul puts on gratitude here. Because fornication and impurity are driven by covetousness, and covetousness is greed. If you're dominated by gratitude, then you will not be dominated by sexual sins, right? I mean, if I am fully satisfied with the wife that the Lord has given me, then why should I look at something else? If, if I'm satisfied with the wife that the Lord has given me, why should I turn my head around when a woman goes through the street? If you are fully satisfied with what God has given you in your life, and you're fully content with what God's given you in your life, then why should you seek out something else? If you're dominated by gratitude, then you will not be dominated by sexual sins. I talk to people who struggle with sexual sins. I said, where is your satisfaction coming from? If your satisfaction in life is coming from those things, yes. So you need to shift your focus, turn from those things, and turn to greater satisfaction. Your satisfaction should come from Christ. Satisfy yourself in Christ. And when you satisfy yourself with Christ, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Right? Will grow strangely dim. You know, in the Garden of Eden, this is the same thing that happened. Satan went up to Eve and caused her to be dissatisfied disenchanted with God's plan for Eve's life. Satan went up to Eve and caused her to think that what God had for her was not the best. 
And she believed that lie. And because she believed that lie, what did she do? She took things into her own hands and yielded herself to sin. And we know that because Romans chapter 1, verse 21, you don't have to turn there. Let me read this for you. Romans 1, 21 states this clearly. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Do you see that lack of gratefulness? They did not give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. If you are messing around with the affairs of this world, it's because you have not understood gratefulness. Gratefulness because God has saved you in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer, and if you are an unbeliever, think about the common grace of God. And that you are hanging by a thread. And that you need to come back to a Savior. You need a Savior. Having seen the perversion of biblical love, let's look at the penalty that the perverse lifestyle brings. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, in parenthesis, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he goes on to say, let no one deceive you with empty words. Why? Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul is stating two things in verses 5 and 6. He's stating in verse 5 that no sexually immoral person, no sexually impure person will inherit the kingdom of Christ. And then he's going on to state in verse 6, the end result of practicing these things is that the wrath of God is upon them. There are two things you're looking at, verse 5 and 6. We'll look at that. Paul begins verse 5 with the phrase, For you may be sure of this. That means he's saying, I've already told you about it. You should be absolutely convinced of the truth that what is happening here, what is being said is true. Beyond a shadow of doubt, that if you practice such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if there is no behavior change in your life, if you have no desire for holiness, if you have no desire for His word, not in perfection. Why? Because we will never be perfect till we see Christ face to face. But you should have a desire for God, His word, and His holiness. If you do not have that, Paul says, you're an unbeliever. If the sins mentioned in verses 3 and 4 are not characteristic of your life, I mean, are characteristic of your life, if that's the sphere in which you're living, the way verse 3 and 4 is said, if you're being happy and you're content in that, Paul says, that's a living proof that you're an unbeliever, and that you have no inheritance at all in the kingdom of Christ. Listen, my beloved. Genuine Christians may fall into the sins. May I say that again? Genuine Christians may fall 
into these sins. But no genuine Christian can habitually continue in this sense. Is that clear? Paul is not saying that anyone who commits this sin is excluded from God's heavenly kingdom. Then he has wiped out the entire population of believers, right? He's basically saying no believer will sin. That's not what he's saying here. We will all sin until we see Christ face to face. What he's implying here is a believer should not be characterized by continual sin. A believer should not take delight in sin. Would you please turn with me to 1 John? It's a great place to be in right now. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. says, little children, let no one deceive you. Now, this is John's words, okay? He's saying, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Now, practices, that's the present continual tense. That means if you are continually practicing righteousness, as righteous as he's righteous. By the way, we cannot practice righteousness if we do not have Christ's righteousness. Then he goes on to say in verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning, that means one who is habitually going on sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And he goes on to say, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he goes on to say, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Do you see that? No one born of God ever continues to continually live in sin. Why? But God's seed abides in him. And he cannot continually keep on sinning because he is born of God. Come back to Ephesians 5, please. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually impure, immoral or impure, or who is covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let's stop right there. Let no one deceive you with empty words. This is in the present tense. That means let no one keep on deceiving you. Meaning stop letting them seduce you and leading you astray. Who are these people? That's a question I asked myself as I was doing the study. Who are these people? Well, this could refer to unbelievers. Unbelievers have empty words. Unbelievers have futile thinking. Unbelievers are not thinking right from scriptures. They don't think, they don't think in biblical categories. They are unbelievers. But you know, this would also include so-called believers within the church. Many so-called believers have been influenced by the culture. They have accepted the culture as a norm and they have borrowed the culture into the church. They have brought the world into the church. And Paul says, let us not be deceived by these people. So what are we to be careful of? That's the next question. And if you look at verse 6, let no one deceive you. Paul gives the answer. With what? With empty words. We are to be careful of empty words. Empty words are words without truth. 
Words without content, content of faith. Words that are a lie. Words that stray people away from the truth. There are people in the church convincing other people in the church that there is no judgment when you practice evil. There are people in the church who teach others that since you've been justified, since you've been accepted by God, it does not matter how you live your life. There are people in Christian churches who teach that you can live the way you live and you will still go to heaven. Because they say you are believed in Christ. As long as you are believed in Christ, you will go to heaven. Now you may lose some rewards in heaven. You will be ashamed when you get into heaven. But you will still go to heaven. That means you say you are a Christian, but you continue to live the ways of this world. Is that the truth? In the light of First John chapter 4 that we just read? And what happens as a, as a result of listening to the lies of the devil? The Bible says the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God's wrath, Romans chapter 1 verse 18, it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath is upon them. Listen, my beloved. Yes, you're saved by faith in Christ and Christ alone. There is nothing you have to do to get saved. It's just by faith. But when you come to Christ in faith, you definitely have come to Christ in faith because there is something wrong with you. You have turned from your sins. You turn from your sins, you said goodbye to the ways of the world, and you turn to Christ. Otherwise, why should you turn to Christ? And that's what 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says. Everyone who hopes in Him, this is John's words, it's not my words, it's the Bible words, right? Everyone who has hope in Him, purifies himself. Why? Because he's pure. You don't purify yourself to go to heaven. You purify yourself because he has saved you. You see that? You purify yourselves because he has strengthened you, has given you the power and the Holy Spirit to live that life. So anyone who is continuing to live in lawlessness is an unbeliever. Because 1 John chapter 3 verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. It doesn't say no one, born, uh, no one born of God does not sin. It says no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Is there a difference? Yes. Galatians chapter 5 says this very clearly. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. And then Paul goes on to say, I warn you, as I warned you before, 
that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means people, these people are sons of disobedience. They are the ones who are manifesting, listen to me again, they are manifesting a lifestyle of continual disobedience. So my beloved, what is your life like today? I mean, you cannot be an imitator of God if you're not born again. Don't try to imitate God in order to please God. You cannot do that. That's putting the cart before the horse. The only way you can imitate God is first when God regenerates you. Then he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power that enables you to live that life of being an imitator. If you're born again, you will not desire to live like the unbeliever. You will not. That won't be the, the desire for your life. Would you please, and I want to turn to one last scripture here. Would you please turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, this is scripture interpreting scripture, right? I didn't just pull out one scripture. I gave you Galatians. I gave you Ephesians. And now I'm telling you from First Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor even men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the truth. If that is your character, if this is who you are, if this is your habitual practice, then you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. But beloved, I want to encourage you. Don't stop there. Keep reading on. What's the next verse? Verse 11. Let's read that. And such were some of you. If you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, such were some of you. That is our past. Why? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who you are today. And so we don't have to become prideful because that was our past. We can be compassionate when we see people struggling in sin, which is their present, and you can give them the hope of the gospel and allow them, allow the gospel to make those lifestyle a thing of the past. Is that? And keep moving forward. My beloved, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you are, then you are his child. You're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. And if you now sin, would you listen to me, please? If you now sin, you have an advocate in Christ Jesus. 
First John 1 John 1.9 says, If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. The question is, do you want to change? This is where you need to begin. You need to remember what God has done for you. Unless and until you are in Christ, you cannot change. Change is possible only through the gospel. That's why we don't preach moralism here, we preach the gospel. Change is possible through the gospel. Only gospel-believing Christians are able to change and live the way that glorifies God. Have you turned to Christ? Turning to Christ from your old ways. Have you personally confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? The Bible says in in Acts chapter 16 verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The true gospel transforms you. The true gospel promotes you in a desire for holiness. And when you come to Christ, Christ is better than everything else that the world has to offer. He has something much better. Listen, my beloved, I wish I can come to you and, and fall down at your feet and plead with you and tell you to listen to me intently. But it has to be the work of God in your life. Listen to me, beloved. Let me tell you this. And listen to me. The ways of this world will not satisfy you. They are short-lived. They will only bring you despair. They will bring you shame. And they will bring you guilt. The Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 38, Whoever believes in me, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Christ is more satisfying than anything else the world has to offer. Christ will empower you to live the life that God wants you. Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You will be able to abide and bear fruit if you abide in Christ. You want to change? That's the way of change. Abiding in Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that we have. The positive and the negative. Reminding us, warning us. But at the same time, hope, giving us the hope that is found in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We didn't have to work for it. We didn't have to do anything. There was no conditions associated. The only thing was we to come to you. And Lord, we pray that there would be salvation in the lives of people today, that they would come to Christ and receive the free gift of eternal life that is offered to them from Calvary. You are the transforming God and that you would be more satisfying to them than the things of this world and help today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say, Amen.